This is Boston Scott, and you're listening to the Birds Banter Podcast. I'm living in that 21st century, doing something mean to it. Do it better than anybody you ever seen do it. Screams from the haters, got a nice ring to it. I guess every superhero need his theme music. No one man should have all that power. The clock's ticking, I just count the hours. Stop tripping, I'm tripping off the power. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the latest Birds Banter podcast episode. This is the Birds Banter podcast presented to you by PHL Sports Nation. You can find us on Twitter at Birds Banter, on Instagram at Birds Banter PHL. This is your host, Matt Loopy, and we're here to talk about yet another Eagles loss, very ugly loss against the Cleveland Browns, and the Eagles fall to 3-6-1 and one on the season. Um, it's brutal. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to watch this team and enjoy them, but we're going to break it down for you guys and see what can happen because um, what needs to change? Are the Eagles going to tank and try to get a better draft pick? Are they going to ride out and continue being first in the NFC East and try to get some wins against a very difficult stretch in the schedule where um, you have the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the Saints, the Packers coming up, or something in between? Um, so stay tuned. We'll let you know what's going on with the, the Eagles. So like most games this season, there were a lot of negatives for the Eagles' offensive and defensive play. Um, First of all, Carson Wentz continued to turn the ball over. It's been an issue all season. And um, the one interception, you know, you can can try to um, argue both sides. The interception to Alshon Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey didn't really put much effort into um, catching that ball. But at the same time, you know, Carson Wentz threw a jump ball to Alshon Jeffrey in the red zone. It was in front of the goal line, too, which I didn't really understand. But a jump ball to Alshon Jeffrey. It's Alshon Jeffrey's second game back. Um, he got he hasn't had a reception um, yet. He's been targeted, but hasn't had a reception. He wasn't playing much in this game at all. And the last time he played was week 14 of last season, so almost a full year ago. Very significant injury. He hasn't been the same player since the 2017 Super Bowl year. So... My question is, why is Carson Wentz, you know, targeting Alshon Jeffrey uh, like the receiver that Alshon Jeffrey used to be? In the red zone, you should be throwing to who you know can give you the best chance. Give it to Dallas Goddard. Richard Rodgers is playing fantastic. Um, Jalen Rager, get him involved more. Miles Sanders played really well despite the fumble. So I don't understand why Carson, so it's on both of them. Carson Wentz should probably not have made that throw, but Alshon Jeffrey, you could have put uh, more effort in. The other interception was the pick six, where Carson Wentz got hit from behind. The ball just floats out in the air as he was trying to throw it to Miles Sanders. It was returned for a touchdown. Um, just brutal. I mean, you you have to have better awareness. He was holding on to the ball too long. And uh, if you guys watch that play, the interceptions that he had, he had other targets wide open. So all of his turnovers, inexcusable. He had the safety which he took, um, I'm not sure exactly how much time he had in the pocket. I know Jason Peters got beat really badly there, but he had two, three, I would say at max three and a half seconds there in the pocket, which is plenty for an experienced quarterback. Carson Wentz should be able to do a lot with that. And plus, if you're feeling the pressure coming straight at you, it's not like it was from the side, it's coming straight at you, escape the pocket, make something happen with your feet. 
and he had Greg Ward open, he had Dallas Goddard open, so Carson Wentz is continuing to hurt this team with his decision-making, but another part about the offense that has been troubling is Doug Peterson and his play calling, um, so we're seeing a bit more news come out today. Jeffrey Lurie said, um, you know, you know, a couple weeks ago, he has been very upset with the team, and he's going to make some changes if nothing gets better. Well, so far, no changes, no changes have been made, and I would imagine the changes that he would make would be to make Doug Peterson not the play caller. They would um, promote Rich Scangarello or Deuce Staley to call the plays on Sundays. But we didn't see that against the Browns. Um, we haven't heard any news so far. You're listening to this uh, Wednesday morning. We recorded this on Tuesday. So, so far, as I know of, there have been no changes as far as who's going to be the play caller. Um, you know, it might take a game against Seattle. Seattle, they're coming into Philly. Monday Night Football, we're going to talk about that at the end of this podcast, but Seattle has a poor defense, so this should be an opportunity for the Eagles to get back on track, put some points on the board. Seattle's offense is almost unstoppable, especially for the Eagles, but their defense is very beatable. So it's going to come down to Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. Can you guys get back on track? Right now, the way I view this, Carson Wentz should stay. He's been very bad with his decision-making, but as you can see, in 2017, with good coaches and a better mindset, uh, a bit healthier and not a second-round pick breathing down your neck, he is a good quarterback. He can get back to that. I don't want to think of Carson Wentz as just that 2017 quarterback because his career in total, that was just a fraction. The success was just a fraction. Um, but he, he's due a lot of money. If a team like the Colts call this offseason, it would be easy for the Eagles to trade him, get that money um, – squared away, restructure the contract, whatever, get rid of him, get some picks back. But Doug Peterson, he's been terrible. The offense has regressed significantly every single year, ever since Frank Reich left after the Super Bowl win and John Filippo. And man, I mean, Doug Peterson took it upon himself this offseason. He said, I'm going to be the offensive coordinator. I'm still going to be the play caller. And look where it's got him. They are a three-win team. Granted, they're still winning the NFC East right now. Um, that's It's terrible the way that is. They just lost to the Giants and then just lost to the Browns. The Browns are very beatable. The only th- really thing good they had going for them were their cornerbacks. Denzel Ward had a great game. And their running backs, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, both were slow to start. But when they got going, they were almost unstoppable. So the fact that Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz cannot win football games because of their coaching, I know that players are making mistakes, especially Carson Wentz, but the coaching, everybody can see it. It's been brutal. You have to make some changes as far as the coaching staff goes. You can keep Harry Roseman. I'm good with keeping him right now. Get some new coaches, and then if Carson Wentz plays like this next season, then you can make your decision about him. But first things first, coaching needs to change. To help break down the Eagles' loss against the Browns, I'm going to bring on Mike Kay. He's the Eagles beat reporter for some time now. He is also the co-host of the No Huddle Show podcast. Make sure you check it out. Mike Kay is great. You can find him on Twitter, Mike underscore E underscore K. And um, really enjoyed my conversation with Mike. I think you guys will too. We talked a lot about the Eagles' struggles, what they should be doing, and how they can improve next season. So make sure you tune in and go follow Mike if you're not already. So today to talk about the previous game against the Browns, Eagles take another loss 
We're ha- we have Mike K on with us. He is an Eagles beat reporter and a co-host for the No Huddle Show. Mike, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining. I'm doing well. Sorry if you hear my kid running around in the background, but everything's good. All good. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure you're not in as high spirits as, as you normally are because the Eagles did unfortunately lose again. It was ugly, almost as ugly as the weather on Sunday in Cleveland. Um, so first things first, what were your thoughts on the Sunday game against the Browns? Well, I mean, it, it was kind of par for the course, right? I mean, the Eagles find new ways to lose, but they always kind of feel like the same ways they lose. Uh, turnovers, um, you know, fourth quarter meltdowns, uh, uneven play. They've yet to put together a complete game this season. Uh, and also they're 0-6-1 during day games. So they're basically like football vampires. You can kind of predict that they're going to kind of come up short for some reason they get up for primetime games lucky for them uh next week they or uh, yeah i guess next week uh mm-hmm. they play on monday night football against the seahawks who they basically can't beat um but yeah i mean look it was disappointing i think you know as an objective observer it's kind of hard to explain some of these losses right because there's so many things at fault mm-hmm. and i think this was a game where look carson did not, not play well uh, I know pro football focus graded him as the third highest graded offensive player on the team, but frankly, he gave the, the defense nine points. The offensive line had a rough showing, especially Jason Peters. It might've been one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they lost Peters and Lane to injure Lane Johnson to injuries during the game. Um, they got away from running the ball, of course. And, you know, I mean, it just kind of snowballed. Um, I feel like the biggest thing that's going kind of unnoticed is how poorly they're coordinating the wide receiver routes and Mm -hmm. how they're using these guys. Travis Fulgham is a guy who exploded and now defenses know what he's doing. And it seems like they haven't figured out a way to kind of get him open. Uh, They're not targeting him early. Uh, Jalen Rager the Eagles went out of their way to draft speed and they have just not used him to his strengths at all. It's been kind of, it's honestly been pathetic because, you know, you passed on Justin Jefferson and now you have Rager doing things that Justin Jefferson does well, as opposed to doing what Jalen Rager does well. And I, I, I think that's glaring here. I think when you look at the defensive side of the ball, they came out with a clear objective to stop the running game and, you know, they were on the field a lot. And eventually, you know, a pounding back is going to wear a defense down. And that's exactly what Nick Chubb did. And uh, look, the defense gave up 13 points. They did their job. The offense didn't, you know, follow suit. And when you lose the turnover battle, it's it's kind of hard to win the game. Yeah, absolutely. So the trend this season has been there's a lot of negatives, right? Um, Carson Wentz being at the top of them. So Miles Sanders had a costly fumble, but there were a few positives from the game. I think Alex Singleton has been playing pretty well, um, stepping in for Nate Gary. And then, um, you know, Fletcher Cox had a big force fumble. Has there been any players that have stuck out to you these past two weeks, even even though they're losing, um, any players that stand out as um, contributors that have possibly um, earned a starting role on the team? So I, I think if you're looking at young guys, which I, I would assume is what yeah. you Josh Sweat, um, I've been a very big advocate of his. I was actually at his pro day at FSU, and he had one of the most impressive pro days I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's a guy that I think is developing. He's got violent hands. He's very quick off the ball. 
people need to remember, you know, he, when he was at FSU, he was a read and react defensive end. It's a completely different, you know, when you're playing in a three, four as a defensive end, uh, first off, he was not, that was, that, that wasn't playing to his strengths, but you develop habits. And with Jim Schwartz's defense, especially in that wide nine, you're asked to, you know, get off the ball quickly. You're, you're asked to just attack. And, and frankly, Josh Sweat was not, you know, accustomed to that. Mm-hmm. So he kind of had to relearn. Um, he just tied his career high with four sacks uh, in this game. He could add a fifth one. Uh, uh, Baker Mayfield got away with a little bit of uh, magic on the play action fake there, and he just lost track of him. But look, I think Josh Sweat is a guy who's going to get some national attention. He's definitely going to be a starter next year because one way or another, the Eagles with the cap situation they have next season have to decide probably between Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham. Mm -hmm. Uh, And depending on what happens with the front office and the coaching staff, that might not, I mean, that still might not be an easy decision, you know, depending on what, you know, a potential scheme change, a potential front office outlook, you know, I mean, Brandon Graham has built up a lot of credit in, in, in this defense and it's a big deal to this front office and this coaching staff but what's who's to say if one of them is gone that he'll be back even though he is mm-hmm. playing at a very high level uh you brought up singleton i think singleton's an absolute player um you know look i think Jalen rager played pretty well yesterday all things yeah. considered um I, again, I don't think they're using him to his strengths, um, but people are talking about him like he's a bust already, and he's already got more first down receptions this season as a rookie in five games than Nelson Aguilar did in 13 games in 2015. Wow. So, like, and he's not even being used to his strengths. Yeah. So, I think when you look at, he's going to be a good player. He's, mm-hmm. I mean, he is. It's, I mean, you know, I think. Uh, Richard Rogers has kind of earned himself a re-signing next season, regardless of who's on the staff. Yeah, he might be the second or third tight end, but chances are you're probably going to lose either, you know, you're probably going to lose Zach Ertz to a trade or, you know, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with Dallas Goddard. Cause right now, I don't know if you can really sign him to an extension based on what he's shown so far. Mm-hmm. Um, another offense, look, Isaac Samalu came back in a big way in this game. Yeah. I think he blocked very, very well as a run blocker. He's going to be a, you know, a foundational piece of this offensive line moving forward because Jason Kelsey's getting up there. He's talked about retirement. Jason Peters won't be back next season. Lane Johnson's suffering through a lot of injuries. Brandon Brooks is coming off a bunch of injuries. Mm-hmm. Isaac Samalo is kind of that one guy who is in his mid-20s, can grow, and is proven. And I, I think he's one of the more underrated players on, on the roster. So Very good contract, too. Yeah, very good contract. I think he's making 5.5 next mm-hmm. year, 5.25. Um, and the thing is, too, is if Jason Kelsey retires, you can move him to center. They really like Luke Jurigo, who you saw like for a flash. Yeah. In this game. Uh, not fair to kind of base your opinion off of him, but he projects as a bigger Jason Kelsey. They just need to give him time. And I think when you look at the future of the offensive line, you're looking at a battle between Dillard and Melata, mm-hmm. who, you know, if a new front office comes in or a new coaching staff comes in, they might be interested in trading Dillard. Yeah. Based on what you've seen with Melata, so you got Melata, Isaiah Malu, potentially Jeriga, or you know, flip that around. Uh, they really like Jack Driscoll quite a bit, and then you know, at right tackle, we'll see how long Lane Johnson can hold on for. But I, I think there are some, there are. I said this on my podcast. There's some truffle in this crappy situation, right? right. Uh, I look, Cam Johnson's the only specialist who's not signed through next season. I think he's done an incredible job this season for the most part. I mean, he had a little bit of a rough day yesterday, but mm-hmm. uh, he's a guy who, again, is in his third year and, and could see an extension. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Eagles put themselves in a pretty bad situation back in April. 
drafting Jalen Hurts uh, with a second round pick caught everybody off guard. Um, you know, you pay Carson Wentz all that money. And now with him not performing well and the offense just sputtering, a lot of fans are calling for Jalen Hurts to get some more playing time. You know, he's been brought into games occasionally, um, but they don't really give him any opportunity to succeed. It's either run option or run to Miles Sanders. So in your opinion, based on how Carson Wentz is playing and the um, opportunity for Jalen Hurts, do you think the Eagles could bench Carson Wentz by the end of the season? I think it depends on where they're at. I don't, as long as they're in the race, I don't see it. Could, could he maybe play the last game against Washington if they're out of the mix? Yeah, I think that's a possibility. Frankly, you know, I think the Seattle game's huge. Like, yeah. if I, I wouldn't bench – look, full disclosure, I wrote a column today about how Doug Peterson sticking with Carson Wentz mm-hmm. would probably be his downfall. Because when you open up a new can of, of ginger ale – you're giving yourself a fresh opportunity. Listen, this is the, look, they drafted Jalen Hurts to be insurance. He's pretty expensive insurance. If they just wanted a developmental quarterback, another Clayton Thorson, they really like James Morgan from FIU. They could have just drafted him in the third or fourth round. They made a point to spend a premium pick on Jalen Rager as opposed to giving Carson Wentz help, right? So they're invested. They thought he was good enough. Um, And to me, you know, the convenience of having that insurance policy, which you were proactive about getting, is that when the car turns into a lemon or, you, you know, the engine goes down, you can then in turn use this rental or this, this maybe this long-term lease, mm-hmm. right? And yep. that's what Jalen Hurts is, right? So um, from the perspective of, I, I, like I said, I did say all that and I still believe it. And I don't think he was necessarily the answer against Seattle. Cause it's kind of a tough situation. Seattle's defense has been pretty bad, but yeah. you're also asking him to go against the guy. He's probably going to be compared to his entire career in Russell mm-hmm. Wilson. Uh, he's nowhere near as talented, but you know, they have similar size and, and, and games. And, um, but you know, after that, look, they're facing a murderer's row these next four games. Uh, Seattle, Green Bay, um, uh, New Orleans, and then Arizona. And to, you know, put the rookie in that situation is tough, but it's also tough to tell your locker room that your quarterback's not going to be held accountable at all. And I think that that's kind of the issue here. Um, I also think when a front office who is probably on safer ground than the head coaching staff uh gets you a, a backup look here, here's the thing so you go into jeffrey lurie's office and jeffrey lurie says look uh carson wants his regress you're supposed to be this quarterback guru you're supposed to be this guy who is an offensive wizard and your offense hasn't scored more than 30 points all season mm-hmm. or more than 29 points all season um it, it's predictable your quarterback's regressing he's leading the league in turnovers you can't reach him and then you say, but you're going to stick with that guy and you can't develop the, the second round pick that we, we got you, that Howie Roseman got you. Why should I keep you over Howie Roseman? Yeah, good point. You no, know, I mean, it, it's one of those things where I, I, I think, you know, if he doesn't turn, in fact, have final say, as he has said today, uh, you know, that's a, that's a risk and that's a gamble and you've got to pay the consequences. And frankly, mm-hmm. Carson Wentz's contract, uh, Doug Peterson's, less safe than Carson is like yeah, they, they yeah, can't sure. really get rid of him right like maybe they can have a competition between Hertz and Carson next year but 
like they're not just going to outright get rid of him unless mm-hmm. like Colts call and they're like, oh yeah, he, he totally wants to rework his contract and do all this stuff. It's just not feasible. So Doug needs to fix this. If Doug can take this team new, you know, they, they're still in contention and we've seen them do this before. It's a terrible division, but if they can turn things around when their backs are most against the wall, I mean, like, I mean, who knows? It's tough to write this team off, right, based on history. But, man, this team does not feel like the last two years. No, and and I think fans are tired of being average and just slide into the playoffs. Like, we want to be competitive now. It's it's terrible to see a three-win team on top of the NFC East. Uh, We mentioned Doug Peterson a little bit here. Um, As a member of the media, I mean, we see these pre- press conferences, the Zoom calls, but when you're asking questions, when you're hearing him talk to the media, what's the vibe from Doug Peterson? The past couple of years, he's always said, um, you know, it's okay, we got this. We're looking on to next week. Um, we're holding ourselves accountable, looking ourselves in the mirror. He loves saying that. Carson Wentz loves saying that. Um, but now, once they're at rock bottom, what, what's the vibe you get from Doug Peterson? You know, it's weird because um, I arrived post-Super Bowl. I covered the Jaguars for uh, mm-hmm. three and a half years before uh, I got here. I got here in 2018. And, you know, Doug's always been kind of underlyingly sarcastic with us. He's had his beefs with certain members. Mm-hmm. But he's been very prickly lately. And I want to choose my words wisely here. I mean, look, he's he's stressed. He's, he's pissed off. He's, yeah. you know, I mean, I don't blame him. It, frankly, if he wasn't, it'd be a problem, right? So, mm-hmm. look, I mean, it's tough. This is a tough city. This is a tough fan base. People read stuff, you know, and, you know, they're human. And I, I think Doug's been very human. But I also think he's got a lot of confidence in himself, and he doesn't like to be questioned. And I, I think that comes off very much in interviews. And, you know, uh, he didn't have one of his better press conferences today. Uh he's been on kind of a string of that and, and look he's going to be defensive guys are going to be defensive frankly i'd rather be a guy show personality and be defensive than kind of do what carson does where carson's just basically repeating himself over and over again so frustrating so, yeah i mean look this is not a good year these zoom calls aren't like very personable we all only get one question it's hard to follow up i mean i do like that we're not yelling over each other because if you listen to press conferences before we're basically just yeah. for questions um but you know, I mean, the vibe, I guess, through technology is that he's frustrated. I mean, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people, there's this divide, I think, uh, especially on Eagles Twitter, just, you know, that Eagles Twitter isn't the entire fan base. It's actually a very small, yeah. large, I mean, it's a, a small, loud part of the fan base. Very loud, yeah. But it, it feels like people are split between Carson and Doug. And I think both of them are pretty much equally responsible for a lot of the failings. Now, Carson's failings are mostly on him. I would say that Doug needs to do a better job of scripting plays to fit his strengths. But the overall offensive struggles are very, very squarely on Doug. I mean, this is a predictable offense. Um, they're not very dynamic in any sort of way. Uh, my understanding is defenses are not having based on tape are not having trouble figuring out how to solve this, this riddle Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's, you know, the Riddler would be embarrassed about the type of riddle this offense it it creates for a defense. Right. So, um, you know, I think he's frustrated. I think he's been a little bit exposed. Um, You know, I have been around colleagues who think he's one of the gutsiest play callers and, and innovators there are. I never saw it that way. Um, 
you know, I mean, the Super Bowl, in a lot of ways, I think this team overachieved. Uh, I do think that there has a lot of people made a lot of stuff about DiFilippo leaving, but I think Frank Reich is proving that he's a very, very brilliant man, especially yeah, with offense. And, and look, I think Mike Groh is probably sipping some tea in Indy right now because mm-hmm. this offense has only gotten worse. Um, you know, I, I think they brought in some really good hires. I think Marquand Manuel has been a upgrade over Corey Undland. I think that Aaron Moorhead's been easily the best wide receivers coach that they've oh, yeah. had under Doug Peterson. Um, but frankly, I'm actually kind of surprised that the Doug has not made someone a scapegoat yet because there's a lot going on. That's not good uh, on the surface. Like you can see it as a fan or as a writer mm-hmm. or whatever, like we don't need to report it. You literally yeah. can see it. Um, and it just kind of seems like there's not a lot of accountability and Car- look, Doug's never been known for publicly holding people accountable. It's just not a thing with him. And maybe that's on us for expecting him to be and change who he is. But if you're a guy in that locker room, why should you feel like you need to be held accountable when it doesn't seem like anybody else is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, I definitely agree with you about Doug and Carson. Their, their uh, weaknesses are going hand in hand right now. They're both equally responsible. Doug Peterson has not been doing a good job play calling. And he's the offensive coordinator right now. He's calling the plays. Um, this is on him, but Carson Wentz, poor decisions on the football field, a lot of turnovers. So it's both of them right now. Um, before we wrap up, one one last question for you. So there's coaching struggles. There's struggles at quarterback. Um, the defense has been sloppy at times. That's what is all? The, <laughs> um, what is the biggest need this offseason? There's, there's, there's a long list like you just referred to, but um, going into this offseason, what, what would be your first move? Corner. Yeah. Well, God, that secondary is brutal. I have a question for you. Would sure. you move Avante Maddox inside to slot and then get a new outside corner? Or are you just getting rid of him altogether? I'd actually consider moving him to the third safety role. Okay. I, I just don't – uh, he's got good speed, but just like laterally, he's just not there. And mm. um, he just ha- – he hasn't progressed since his rookie year. Like his rookie year, he had a great rookie year. Yeah. Uh, and they moved him around quite a bit. And you would think that m- his ability to play multiple positions would make him look really good in this positionless secondary that we were advertised. But that's been kind of a farce too, because you look at, you know, Will Parks has barely been used. I yeah. mean, it, it's a weird situation. I think it depends on who your coordinator is. Now, let's let's say Jim Schwartz is still here. So you're running a lot of cover three zone. You're, 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 you're playing some man because Darius Slay is going to be around next year. Um, look, I would draft a corner. I think that, you know, Slay is likely, you know, unless Slay blows the roof off of next year, you're probably looking at a two year stint with him here. Um, and you need a guy who's an eventual running mate. I was a very big advocate for AJ Terrell who Mm -hmm. went way earlier than I thought he would. Very early. Um, and so look, I mean, there they're blessed to not have Trevon Diggs who, while he had two interceptions against the Eagle, I just, I don't see it. I think he's going to be a safety by year three. Um, but yeah, I would address corner and there's a lot of teams that need corners in this draft. I just did a mock draft exercise just for, you know, kicks, but like a lot of teams need corner and there are a lot of corners in this draft. I just don't know how well they match up with playing a lot of man and a lot of 
cover three. Um, look, I, I like Rodney McLeod. He's cheap, um, but they need a better strong safety. Kayvon mm-hmm. Walls has not come in the way we thought he would. Uh, linebacker, I think, you, you know, you're looking at Alex Singleton. If there's a new GM in place, they're almost definitely going to spend on linebacker in a way it, it, with assets. Like they really can't utilize free agency with their cap situation, even if they cut a bunch of guys. So, uh, look, they've got, ten, they, they're going to have, they have seven draft picks. They're going to get three compensatory picks. They're all, those are all going to be late rounds and they just have mm-hmm. to evaluate really well. And, uh, but they've got to put a lot into this defense because the offensive line they've given, you know, with all these injuries, they've given guys some time, you know, Jack Driscoll has shows some flashes. He might be able to play. Um, I think he's going to be a player. I, look, Herbig's played relatively well. Sue Opeta's played okay. Um, Matt Herbig's not – I mean, Matt Pryor's not a guy, in my no. opinion. <laughs> um, look, Melotis turned out to be okay. You still have the investment in Andre Dillard. Lane Johnson still has money on his contract. Isaac Samalu's playing well. Maybe you can talk Jason Kelsey into playing another year. Um, wide receiver, you got Fulgham, you got Rager. You're probably going to spend a second round pick, second or third round pick on a slot receiver because, frankly, they, that's what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and running back, you're probably going to want to pair somebody with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. But I, at least you have Boston Scott and Miles Sanders, right? So you've got a good base there. I just think corner is really, really, a really pressing need, as well as Darius Slay's play. Yeah, that's a great point because um, a lot of people expected the cornerback group to be so much better with Darius Slay, but he's been holding up on, on his own over there um, following the lead receiver, but teams are just attacking Devontae Maddox and he has no answer. I mean, last week, I think he was graded 112 out of 120 um, for PFF cornerback. So he's, he's at the bottom. Um, Mike, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. It was great insight, great takes on the team. Definitely appreciate you taking in time out of your day and joining the Birds Banter podcast. So appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Just keep doing what you're doing, man. I look, I started off doing blogs and podcasts, and now I'm just some like annoying beat writer. So <laughs> the the ceiling is high, man. Just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Much appreciated. All right, we are back. I hope you guys enjoyed that talk with Mike K. He was awesome, provide some great answers to my questions, and it was cool to understand a little bit more about the vibe that he is getting in these press conferences because he is one of the reporters that are in there talking to Doug Peterson every week on Zoom calls um, a few times a week. So it's cool to see his take on everything, um, watching the games, and also hearing things about the team uh, firsthand. So again, thank you so much to Mike. Make sure you guys follow Mike K on Twitter. Um, Awesome work that he does over there at NJ.com. So to finish things off, we're going to review or preview, actually, the upcoming Monday Night Football game against the Seattle Seahawks. So the Seahawks are coming into town against the Eagles, and the Seahawks are on fire right now. Um, they're a bit – they're I wouldn't say they're on fire, actually, uh, because Russell Wilson has been taking a step back, but their last game, they looked pretty good. Uh, Wilson actually has – surprisingly, he has t- 10 interceptions on the year. So it's not going to be impossible for the secondary to slow him down. But it does seem like Russell Wilson always gets his way against the Eagles. Maybe not so much in the playoffs last year, but 2017, um, 2018, just previous years, the Seahawks have been brutal to the Eagles. And um, it it's, it's definitely been a struggle. The Seahawks definitely have the Eagles number. And 
it's time for the Eagles to come out on top. Uh, it's been a while, but I just don't think this is the year to do so. It's almost, on paper, almost an impossible matchup for the Eagles, granted, or I mean, given how bad they've been playing and how talented the Seahawks are, they outmatch them almost everywhere. Russell Wilson is playing phenomenal this year. Kyler Murray, I believe, Murray has solidified himself as the lead MVP candidate, in my opinion. However, Wilson has been having a really awesome year. Take away those interceptions and a few rough games these past couple of weeks. He's right up there. This is still a 7-3 football team, the Seahawks. So, you know, the the Seahawks are going to come to play. And one big change for this game is now with new Pennsylvania regulations, all teams, so the Eagles and the Steelers, when they host home games, them and the opponents have to wear this face shield covering on their helmet to uh, help prevent the spread of COVID. So uh, if you guys, I don't know if you guys saw it, but you know, um, Steelers wide receiver Chase Claypool has a new YouTube channel. He's been vlogging a lot this, this past season and Claypool in one of his vlogs, he showed the helmet. So basically it's, you have your, your visor and then under it, there's another plastic covering with just little holes in it. I'm sure the holes have some mesh or something to um, prevent particles coming out. But, um, you know, from what I've heard, these things are pretty difficult to breathe in. So it's going to be tough for the Seahawks and the Eagles to get adjusted to them. I'm sure they're practicing in them just to get used to it. But this is definitely something different for this game that both teams have to deal with. Looking at the game, there are a few matchups I want to highlight. Number one, Russell Wilson against the Eagles linebackers. The linebackers have a tough day for them because they're going to have to read Russell Wilson and everything that he does. When Wilson plays the Eagles and, frankly, every team in the NFL, it's so hard to defend him because he can extend plays like no other. Similar to Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, he can run too. I mean, he is an amazing athlete. I want to see him win MVP because, man, he deserves it. He's been playing super well ever since he was drafted. Back in 2013, um, the Eagles actually had him on their radar, and they end up taking Nick Foles because Wilson went right before them. So it's crazy to think how different things would be if the Eagles had Russell Wilson, one of the best quarterbacks of our generation. And um, he just went a few picks before Eagles got Nick Foles. Uh, granted, both are Super Bowl champions now, but um, just funny how things work. But the Eagles' defense has a cutout for them with Russell Wilson. The defensive line has to contain him, and the linebackers have to read him. Make sure they're not busting on coverages just to cover Russell Wilson, but make sure they're not giving him the room to run around freely and extend plays. I honestly feel bad for them. I don't know how you can game plan for someone like Russell Wilson. He is a great quarterback. Um, I would imagine the defense is probably facing Jalen Hurts a lot in practice this week because Jalen Hurts is a similar play style to Russell Wilson, kind of compared in college. So, Having Jalen Hurts run some plays in practice will definitely help the defense and try to see how they can de- how they can defend him. So that is somewhere that the Eagles can benefit from in practice. Another matchup, arguably the best uh, best wide receiver in the league this year, DK Metcalf. He is phenomenal. He's fast. He's strong. He's tall. He can do it all. Darius Slay has been pretty good this year. He had a bad game against the Giants. Um, Darius Slayton had a few few good catches on him but this is I would say this is Darius Slay's first real test this season he's faced some pretty good wide receivers so far but this is the game that Darius Slay needs to prove himself 
on the roster that he is a top cornerback in this league, like we all believe he is. So DK Metcalf, he can do it all, like I said. He has an extremely diverse route tree. He's super fast, can take the top off the defense. So I hope the Eagles have something in place where they can have Darius Slay shadowed because DK Metcalf, he can beat anyone one-on-one. I have no doubt about it. Um, So Metcalf needs to be limited. The Seahawks don't have a great run game because Chris Carson's been banged up. Same with Travis Homer. Um, Carlos Hyde just isn't the same running back that he used to be. Uh, uh, He was a 1,000-yard rusher last year, but he does not look like that anymore. Other than that, Tyler Lockett, I I would assume, is probably in for a decent game because the Eagles' slot corners have not been that great this year. Craven LeBlanc is down with an injury. So Nikel Roby-Coleman will be the one on Tyler Lockett in uh, Monday Night Football. On the Eagles' offense, uh, the line needs to step up. They haven't been that great. So the line needs to improve. Miles Sanders can probably have a pretty big game. This is a game that Travis Fulgham needs to get going. Against the Browns, he had over 90% of snaps. Alshon Jeffrey didn't cut into anything. However, he had nothing to account for it. He had a drop. So Travis Fulgham needs to step up. Everybody was so high on him through a couple of weeks saying that he's the wide receiver of the future, and then now he's not doing anything. So Travis Fulgham, is, it's time to get him involved more. Also, I want to see Jalen Rager. I think this could be Jalen Rager's breakout game because Rager... He's played decent this this year so far, but there's been no offensive plan to get him directly involved. There's been nothing to utilize his strengths. No run plays to him recently. You know, get him involved. Get him moving around the field what he is best to do. Throw some deep balls to him. Like Carson Wentz, gain some confidence in himself by throwing it deep to a guy like Jalen Rager. So I think Fulgham and Rager are in for big games. Dallas Goddard, probably not so much. He hasn't really done much since he returned from his injury. He had a touchdown last week, but not many yards. Um, and Seattle has is been pretty good against tight end, so I don't see a big game out of Dallas Goddard. But the wide receivers, it's time for them to step up, and that all depends on Carson Wentz. Are you going to be a good decision maker, or are you going to continue turning the ball over? That is what's going to determine this game. Right now, I'm going to say the Seahawks are going to win by 11 points. Um, that's a big margin. I think they're favored by five right now as we speak. So I think that'll inflate quite a bit, but we'll see what happens. I mean, I think this is the game that the Eagles can just shock everyone and win for no reason. I mean, they would extend their lead in the NFC East or regain it actually, because Dallas and Washington play on Thanksgiving day. So the winner of that will move into first place, the NFC East because they'll have four wins, but the Eagles can regain it, and it's it's just crazy to think that four wins is going to lead it this late in the season already. But anyways, you know, bad teams always shock the league somehow. They beat a good team out of nowhere. This sounds like the matchup that it could happen. Prime time as well. Um, when you heard Mike talk earlier, he said that they are, they've only got their wins on primetime games. Um, Thursday night, Monday night, Sunday night, whatever it is. That is where their wins are coming from. It's another primetime game. So hopefully the Eagles can show up. I know a lot of people want them to tank for a draft pick. And honestly, I'm in that boat right now. I would rather have a difference maker because right now, if the Eagles are in the NFC East, the playoff picture right now, if they're the winners of the NFC East and then lose in the first round, they have the 19th pick in the draft. If they do not make the playoffs, 
they would be the ninth pick in the draft. That is a big swing. I know it's only 10 picks, but as you can see in the first round, skill level drops down exponentially. Those top 10 picks are premier draft picks, and then it starts to drop down. Um, so that's that's a big, big jump. I would love to see the Eagles pick in the top 10. I think they could find a complete winner there, a stud for the next three, five years. That can be a difference maker until they get to their second contract. Um, so that's where I'm standing. I will always root for the Eagles to win. I hope they put up a good fight against the Seahawks. But one way that you can ensure that they get a better draft pick but still stay competitive, play the younger guys. Start Kayvon Wallace. Put in Michael Jaquette. Um, you know, Quez Watkins, John Hightower, give them more looks on offense. Jalen Raker, throw the balls way more. Get these young guys into the game. So not only are you seeing what they can provide for the future, but you can also assess your needs. Start some new guys on the offensive line. Get them rotated. Defensive line. See what Josh Sweat can do if he can be a starter on the defensive line in the future, which I think he is. So start these younger guys. Let them see a increase in playing time. And then you can go into the offseason with a clear mind of what you need to address. That's what's going to do it for today's episode of the Birds Banter Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Again, you can find us on Twitter, at Birds Banter, Instagram, at Birds Banter PHL. Make sure you check us out. Thank you all for the support, and go Birds. The Perfect Package 3.0 by Manscaped. Are you looking for the perfect gift for your partner this holiday season? We have the perfect package for his perfect package. The Perfect Package 3.0 by Manscaped is the number one recommended gift all year long. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower 3.0, which is the best men's below-the-belt grooming trimmer, which can also be used on any other part of the body. Hairy chest or back? Look no further. Hairy down there? The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is designed to reduce cuts and make for a smooth trim. This 7,000 RPM trimmer has helped reduce Manscaped accidents around the world. In addition, you will find other liquid formulations inside the perfect package like their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Ball Toner, and Reduced Chafing Boxer Briefs. These formulations are vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free, so you know your manhood is in good hands. Save 20% off and free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. Give your testes the besties with Manscaped.